we have a hard time forgiving others. Is there someone in our lives that we have not truly forgiven of a past insult or sin against us? Whether we've been insulted in a big way or a small way, God commands us, He demands that we forgive. How can we know if we have truly forgiven someone? Think of someone who has offended you. Maybe this is from many years ago, from your youth. Think of someone who wronged you. Perhaps it was innocent on their side. Perhaps they're not even aware that they've offended you. Let me ask a few questions. Do you pray for that person? Have you prayed for that person since they've insulted or wronged you? If you haven't, then you most likely have not forgiven them. You're still sitting in the judgment seat. Another question. Can you walk up to that person at church or at a social event or maybe at the Feast of Tabernacles and talk to them in love, in a kind way, without being upset with them, without being angry, without feeling awkward? If not, then you probably haven't truly forgiven them. Instead, you're still sitting in the judgment seat. Third question. Have you asked God in prayer to forgive someone who has sinned against you? If someone wronged you in the past and they're not continuing to sin against you, they're not continuing to wrong you, then when you pray for them, if you have truly forgiven them, you will not keep putting their sin in front of God. Instead, you will ask God to help you overcome your offense. If we remind God of the sins of someone that they've committed against us in the past, and if they're not still committing that transgression against us now, then again, we probably have not really forgiven them. We've not put their offense behind us and we're still sitting in the judgment seat. Forgiveness is something we must all learn and practice. None of us are perfect. I I know that I've unintentionally offended people, and I'm sorry about that. And I know that from time to time people offend each other, and people have offended me. We should not be easily offended. I hope none of us are. But we've all been guilty of offending someone from time to time, or just being a little bit rude or thoughtless. We've all been guilty of being offended as well, of feeling offended. I know I need people to forgive me when I behave rudely or maybe I'm not as considerate as I should be, but I also need to be able to forgive others. So today we're going to talk about the importance of developing a heart and a mind of total forgiveness. We're going to discuss how important it is to be very careful when we find ourselves from time to time sitting in the judgment seat. Now, notice that I didn't say we should never sit in the judgment seat. I said we need to be very careful when from time to time we find ourselves sitting in the judgment seat. More on that later. But before we discuss in more detail forgiveness and the act of forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness and how God forgives us, 
it's important first to talk just very briefly about what sin is and what repentance is. We know from 1 John 3, verse 4, you can turn in your Bible to 1 John 3, 4, that we have one of the classic definitions of sin. And in the Old King James, it states it a little more uh, helpfully. In the New King James, it reads as follows. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. But in the Old King James, as Dr. Meredith and other ministers will often point out, it tells us that sin is the transgression of the law. Now, when we transgress God's law, one of the Ten Commandments or the principles built upon the Ten Commandments, we sin. It's very simple. We understand that. And Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. I have and you have. Uh, We've all sinned uh, at various points in our life. The Apostle uh, James wrote in James chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, he wrote the following, For whoever uh, shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. You know, I think that's very helpful for us to remember. Maybe we're not, and hopefully we're not, uh, going out and committing the big sins that we, uh, we read about. You know, murder and adultery and uh, taking God's name in vain. But all sin is sin. And according to Scripture, even sinning in you know, a smaller point, what we might think is a smaller point, uh, is still a, a sin and makes us guilty of, of breaking all aspects of God's law. And that's what James says. So James chapter 2, verse 10, uh, Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you do not murder, <clears throat> I'm sorry, now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. James chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. So sin is the transgression of God's law. And to break any part of God's law uh, is terrible, makes us a sinner, makes us guilty of all. So what is repentance? Well, the Greek word is metanoio or metaneo. And that word means to think differently, to, to very passionately, very strongly change our thinking, to think differently. One must repent of and think differently about one's behavior, about one's sins. When one is truly repentant, one is deeply sorry, deeply sorry for transgressing God's law. We no longer have a lackadaisical attitude or a careless attitude or a hostile attitude towards God's law when we are repentant. Instead, we subject our carnal mind through the help of Jesus Christ to want to be in harmony with God's law. We know from Romans chapter 8, verse 7, Romans 8, verse 7, that the carnal attitude, the carnal mind, is at enmity, at war. It's It's contrary at enmity against God's law, Romans 8, verse 7. So the carnal mind wants to sin, wants to rebel, reject God's law. But after repentance and when we're repentant, we don't want to be that way anymore. We want to have a change, to think differently, which again is what the root word uh, implies in the Greek. And we want to live in harmony with God's law based on the Ten Commandments. 
a repentant person will want to live by every word of God. Let's turn to Luke chapter 4, a very familiar passage, Luke 4, verse 4. Here is that famous statement by Jesus Christ when he was um, being tested by Satan and he overcame that test. And he answered Satan, of course, a number of times in this uh, chapter. But here at the beginning of this this test, Luke 4.4, Jesus Christ says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So the, the converted mind, the repentant mind, uh, does not look for excuses or loopholes or uh, ways to, uh, to break God's law. The converted mind wants to live by every word of God. It wants to obey the Ten Commandments and all the principles that are based upon those Ten Commandments, all of God's law. So <clears throat> repentance brings a deep change in our thinking and a commitment to live by every word of God, a deep desire and a commitment to no longer want to sin to not be hostile towards God's law, to not be lackadaisical toward, towards God's law. So with that brief overview, and of course there's more you can uh, study and read about uh, regarding sin and repentance, uh, of course in your Bible and many booklets we've written and many articles. But with that introduction, let's go through a number of points <clears throat> that help us understand the importance of forgiveness and how we can become better at forgiving. Point number one, what is godly forgiveness? What is godly forgiveness? I think this is a, a, an encouraging uh, point when we understand what godly forgiveness is. Let's turn back to Psalm 103. Turn with me, please, to Psalm 103. When we understand <clears throat> how much God does love us, uh, how much um, God is desirous to forgive, and when we understand what godly forgiveness really is. It's very encouraging, very inspiring. And this is the model, of course, that we should live up to, isn't it? We are to be developing the, the mind and heart of God. So this is a brief overview of what godly forgiveness is. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Think about that. God in his mercy, when we repent and he forgives, he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. Verse 11 in Psalm 103 tells us that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. And when we fear him, we will want to obey him. We will want to keep his commandments. When we fear him, we will love him. We won't fear him like he's you know, a tyrant, but we will honor him and we will want to keep his commandments. So his mercy is as high as the heavens above the earth. And when he forgives us, he removes our sins as far away as the east is from the west. Uh, that's something to attain to, my, my, my brethren. If, if we forgive someone else uh, truly, then we're going to remove uh, that um, offense from our mind as far as the east is from the west. Very inspiring. Let's turn to Jeremiah. We'll go through a couple more verses. Jeremiah chapter 31 that give us the <clears throat> model, the model of what godly forgiveness really is. Jeremiah 31 verse 34. When God forgives, he forgives entirely. He forgives fully. Jeremiah 31 verse 34. 
talking about uh, the new covenant that God will make with Israel. <clears throat> Jeremiah 31, verse 34. No more shall each, uh, every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and notice what it says, their sin I will remember no more. When God forgives, he forgives entirely. Let's turn to Psalm 51, that very famous Psalm of David, when he was very repentant. And this is uh, you know, an important study for us when we are preparing for Passover, for example, or when we are just studying about forgiveness and repentance and sin. Uh, psalm 51 is uh, a, a great psalm to review and study very deeply. Psalm 51, verse 1. David knew that God would blot out his transgressions according to God's love. Notice how David phrases this under God's inspiration. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse my, me from my sin. When God forgives, he removes your sins as far as the east is from the west. He blots them out. He scrubs you clean and he forgets them. He removes them. That is uh, profound. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. So godly forgiveness is something that we should try to attain to in our lives when we need to forgive others. It's also something we can take encouragement from knowing that God uh, forgives us uh, when he does forgive us, when we repent and he forgives us, that he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. Hebrews 8, verse 12. For I shall be, speaking at the same time, I shall be merciful to their uh, unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So we're going to read a little bit about this time um, as well. This is speaking of the new covenant, uh, which will be brought into its fullness in the kingdom of God. But we are, as Dr. Dr. Meredith has often said, pioneers uh, of that new covenant now. And so this forgiveness is offered to us now. And this is the model of godly forgiveness. Let's look at a couple more scriptures regarding how profoundly and entirely God forgives uh, when he forgives. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. If we truly repent of our sin, then when God forgives us, he, he gives us grace. That's unmerited pardon from our Creator for where we have fallen short, where we have transgressed His law. When God forgives us, He's giving us the gift of forgiveness. And that's why we call it grace. It's, it's unmerited. It's a gift. Uh, let's turn to <clears throat> Ephesians and just explore that topic just very briefly. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And I'm going to read from the New King James and from the Old King James here. Ephesians 2, verse 8, first from the New King James. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. When God forgives and washes us from our sins, uh, that's a gift. The old King James reads as follows. Uh, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should, should, should boast. Now, when God forgives us, he's granting us grace. By his grace, we are being saved. And that's one reason that in this particular instance, the old King James is a little more accurate because it presents the, the forgiveness in the active uh, sense, the active verb form. It's a present progressive verb, este, E-S-T-E, is the Greek, uh, Greek verb there, E-S-T-E. And it's a present progressive. Uh, when God forgives us, then we are being saved, present progressive. We are being saved uh, by him. Uh, we're not saved permanently, once saved, always saved. Uh, that's, that's a false, uh, a false argument. That's a false uh, theory. That's a false doctrine. Uh, we can still fall away. Paul talked about fighting the, the, the fight and running that race. Uh, we are not saved and then uh, permanently from then on, there's no way we can ever fall away. That's, that's not what the Bible says. What the Bible says <clears throat> is that for by grace, Ephesians 2 verse 8, you are being saved through faith. Are being. It's a present progressive. Grace is God's unmerited love and pardon toward us. I won't turn there for sake of time, but perhaps jot down in your notes uh, Titus chapter 3 verses 4 through 5. Titus 3 verses 4 through 5. And Romans 5 verse 10. Romans 5 verse 10. When God forgives us and grants us grace, that is his unmerited love and pardon toward us for our sins. Now, no one who has ever lived with the exception of Jesus Christ was perfect and without sin. No amount of our effort can earn us God's grace. No amount of our effort, no amount of our law-keeping can earn us grace and earn us eternal life. We have all uh, fallen short uh, from time to time, and the forgiveness of our sins is a gift from God. That is what grace is. But God's forgiveness and grace does not give us a license to continue to sin. Rather, let's turn back to Romans chapter 3. A Christian will want to uphold God's law, being thankful for the forgiveness that God grants us and that is made available through and by the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ, of our, uh, uh, covering uh, the, the penalty for our sins. Because of that, <clears throat> we will want to have a new heart and zealously uh, obey and keep God's law. Romans 3, verse 31. We'll want to change, have that heartfelt change, and no longer be lackadaisical about breaking God's law, no longer being hostile toward, towards God's law. That's what repentance is, is predicated on. And so we want to uphold the law. Romans 3, verse 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? Do we make void God's law, the Ten Commandments? Are, 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 are those laws done away with? Meganoito, certainly not. This is a strong word that Paul uses here. Meganoito, certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. On the contrary, we want to uphold the law. Let's turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin in sin that grace may abound? Shall we continue to sin so that... uh, you know, God can keep granting grace? 
Romans 6, verse 2. Certainly not. Meganoito. It's a very strong uh, Greek word. N certainly not. By, you know, by no means. Absolutely not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? How shall we who uh, used to sin, used to be carnal, and put that life behind us, how shall we then go back to it? No, we, we, we should not. We will not. So when God forgives us, <clears throat> he is giving us grace, but grace is not a permanent state. We do have to endure to the end. Uh, as Christ said in Matthew 24, 13, who he, he who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 24, 13. Uh, he or she who endures to the end will be saved. So godly forgiveness is to completely, entirely forgive. To remove that sin as far away as these is from the West, uh, to forgive that person who sinned or against us, who offended us, uh, to understand that, that that sin is blotted out. That's godly forgiveness. There are a couple sermons <clears throat> that I just thought were fantastic that you might want to, to uh, watch or listen to on our websites. Uh, one is by Mr. Rod McNair. Uh, it's a sermon titled, The Gift of Forgiveness. Just type that into the little search uh, bar there in the, uh, in the website. And another sermon is by Dr. Jeff Fall, Dr. Fall, titled, Be Not Easily Offended. Both really uh, helpful sermons regarding this, this subject. So, <clears throat> wrapping up point number one, what is godly forgiveness? Uh, when we remember uh, our brother's or sister's sins against us, now I know that we, we're not going to get amnesia. I understand that. We're not going to get amnesia. But when we bring them up, when we stew over them, when we put them in front of God all the time, when they uh, possess our minds, when we think about them all the time, then we've not forgiven. We've not forgiven. We need to be like God. And when we forgive, we need to forgive entirely. Point number two. Being a forgiver means not being an accuser. Being a forgiver means not being an accuser. Dr. Winnell, Dr. Douglas Winnell, wrote an excellent article in the Living Church News titled, Do Not Be Deceived. And he addressed the danger of falling into an attitude where we become accusers. So point number two. Being a forgiver means not being an accuser. And, uh, you know, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Satan is the accuser. So when we uh, start wanting to accuse or when people are attacking the church or attacking us or attacking God's ministry, uh, my, my brethren, remember, Satan is the accuser. And at the end of the age, that, that's going to be a lot worse. We'll talk about that in a moment. <clears throat> so Dr. Winnell wrote the following. Scripture describes Satan as the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12, verse 10. Anyone who gossips and spreads rumors about other people or who assigns motives incorrectly or where no motives exist can slip into this satanic deception and unwittingly become a tool in Satan's hands. This is why Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged, in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Dr. Winnell continues, Our goal as a Christian is to focus on getting our own life in order instead of being eager to point out others' faults. Paul offered a similar warning he said, if you bite and devour one another, uh, <clears throat> beware lest you be consumed by one another. Galatians 5, verse 14 through 15. Paul knew that comments about other people could be very destruct destructive and that a willingness to make such comments, for example, about a person's conversion or motives or actions, does not reflect real Christian love, uh, end of quote. 
Revelation 12.10. Satan is the accuser. Revelation 12.10 talks about Satan, the accuser of the brethren, being cast down, who accused them before God night and day. Let's be very careful not to be accusers. And it's so easy to uh, get caught up in that gossip. Uh, and people love to accuse. Um, those people are harming themselves. And they don't know the facts. And they're wrong about motives and wrong about facts. Um, and that's just a, an attitude that needs to be repented of. Uh, de- being, being desirous to accuse uh, is not godly at all. <clears throat> so, point number two, being a forgiver means not being an accuser. Um, let's turn to Second John, Second John uh, chapter 1, a couple verses about this. Uh, if we are uh, forgiving and if we're not uh, accusers, um, that doesn't mean we're going to be uh, foolish. It doesn't mean we're going to put ourselves in harm's way. We need to be careful. Second uh, John and I said chapter one. I Second John um, verse nine. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. And this is talking not only about the spirit of the Antichrist and that Christ uh, came from the Father and was born of a virgin and, and died for our sins. This is talking about whoever does not bring or teach or whoever rebels against Christ's doctrines, the Christ's teachings, someone who is opposed to the, the doctrines of Christ, the, the Bible, Scripture, what the church of God teaches. If people are opposed to it, what does your Bible say? Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, the doctrine of Christ, uh, our, our apostle, our high priest, we have that chief apostle, Jesus Christ, who is the rock upon which the church is founded. If people come to you and they bring doctrines in opposition to the doctrines from your Bible that the church teaches, uh, which is the bulwark of the faith, what does it say? Do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So, being a forgiver means not being accuser, not being an accuser. But brethren, being a forgiver uh, and being a saint uh, also means not putting yourself in harm's way and not being around accusers. Let's turn to 2 Timothy. And this is important. As we approach the end of the age, there's going to be more uh, temptation to get into um, attacking and there's going to be more um, uh, attacks on the church. And what does it say in 2 Timothy? I tell you, I won't turn there just for sake of time, but it says to turn away from people who have a form of godliness, but deny God's authority in their lives. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 5. To turn away from those people. Uh, it's interesting, then 2 Timothy 3, 3, where it talks about being unforgiving, that that word can mean be, to be un- irreconcilable, to be irreconcilable. Uh, to be irreconcilable <clears throat> means you don't want to forgive. You, you enjoy being bitter. And so we should not be accusers, but we should be very careful to, to uh, not even go farther and to, and to, to want to attack and, and be irreconcilable. Dr. Meredith wrote in a Living Church News article about this. He wrote a, a fantastic article uh, where he gave really good instructions about overcoming negativism and a spirit of, of, of accusing. 
Uh, the article was titled, Build a Positive Attitude. And he wrote the following, Learn to stay away from, people, from negative people and situations as best you can. And absolutely avoid the approach of resentment. The approach. Don't even let these negative thoughts you know, get, get close to you. Avoid the approach of resentment, confrontation, and bitterness toward others, even in your own heart. As Jesus instructed in Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Dr. Meredith concludes in that, uh, <clears throat> that uh, paragraph, So we must absolutely forgive others from the heart if we are to be forgiven by God. And if we ourselves want to have a truly positive and loving attitude and outflowing concern that brings peace to ourselves and others. So point number two, being a forgiver means not being an accuser. And I added to that, uh, we need to be careful not to associate with, be around people who are irreconcilable, who are enemies of God, enemies of the church, enemies of the doctrine of Christ. Point number three, it is for God to correct. It is for God to correct. Sometimes when people uh, can't forgive or don't want to forgive or when they uh, get into spirits of accusation, it's because they wrongly assume that they have God's role. They wrongly assume that, that they have the prerogative that God has, that, that it's up to them to correct. No, no, God will correct. God will take vengeance. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35 to me belongs vengeance, God says. To me belongs vengeance. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. To me belongs vengeance. Uh, Psalm 94, verse 1. Psalm 94, verse 1. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Now, vengeance is not ours. Vengeance is not ours to uh, exercise. Let's turn to Hebrews. Maybe you know those are only Old Testament thoughts. No, no, they're, they're uh, God's thoughts. And God does not want us exacting vengeance. Now, we're going to talk about judgment later. But it's up to God to, <clears throat> to, um, to correct and to exact vengeance. Uh, not us. Do, uh, Hebrews 10. And let me, let me qualify what I said. There, there are times when you're in a position of authority. You're a, a father, a mother. Uh, you're a minister, you're a boss. Um, yes, clearly we, we correct uh, where there's a wrong, uh, people are going the wrong way. But it's up to God, it's God's prerogative to take vengeance, to take vengeance, uh, to, um, <clears throat> to punish. Hebrews 10, verse 30. For we know... Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Uh, we don't need to uh, become obsessed about us seeking vengeance, retribution, uh, to punish people. It, God will take care of that. Uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. So being a forgiver, uh, point number three, uh, means that we understand that it's to, it's to God, it's for God to exact 
uh, vengeance, to punish, not, not us. Romans 12, verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire upon his head. Do not, overcome, uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, obviously, we're not supposed to uh, be nice to our enemies so that, uh, so that we hope that, that, that coals of, of, of fire are lumped on them. Uh, it's up to God to make that judgment if he's going to, to punish uh, someone. Now, again, in, if we're in a position of authority or even if we're friends exhorting friends, yes, you can correct wrong behavior. You can tell somebody. You should tell somebody. Um, no, you know, I, I advise you don't do such and such. That would be breaking the Sabbath. Or no, please don't do such and such. That would be uh, compromising in, in some way according to God's law. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. How much do we uh, owe God in our lives? You know, God is willing to forgive us, but sometimes we don't want to forgive others. It's, it's, uh, that's a shame. Uh, let's, let's bring out some points in Matthew 18 that, that maybe we don't uh, bring out as, as often as we, we could. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him, <clears throat> to Jesus Christ, and said, Lord, how often shall, we, uh, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, you know this parable, but I would like to draw our attention to a couple, uh, couple uh, points that Jesus Christ is making that we maybe don't think about as, as much as we, we, we could. So Jesus answered and said, uh, up to, um, I, do, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And then he gives this parable. So the point that Christ makes initially is you need to keep forgiving your brother. <clears throat> but then he gives this parable. And he talks about the kingdom of heaven uh, is, like, is, is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. The king here represents Christ. And I'd like to draw our attention to the fact that the king is going to settle the accounts, isn't he? The king, Christ, Christ is going to settle the accounts. I don't need to worry about settling an account with somebody who offended me back in high school or settling an account with somebody who uh, wasn't nice to me you know, yesterday, uh, I need to forgive them. I need to love them. Uh, I need to know that I probably behave rudely sometimes and I, I don't try to, I don't want to, but you, know, you have a bad day and you, you kind of are short with someone. Uh, we should, uh, that's not a fruit, fruit of the Spirit. Um, but I need to understand that you know, there's, a, there's a, a plank in my eye that I need to work on and, uh, and not be so worried about other people's offenses toward me. It's the master who is going to settle the accounts. So we go through the parable, and uh, the, the one uh, servant uh, owed 10,000 talents and could not pay it. Notice verse 26, the servant fell down before the master and said, please have patience and I'll pay you. The master was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him. Now, the master is Jesus Christ, and when we beg him for forgiveness, and we, we have a change of heart and a change of mind. We don't want to be debtors to sin anymore. He, he is true and faithful. He will forgive. But notice, that master who was forgiven of 10,000 uh, talents, uh, he goes out, and we all know the story. Um, he finds this other servant, verse 28, who owed him you know, just a, 
a little bit of money, just a few dollars, a few hundred denarii. And that servant, you know, abused and took his, his hands and, and uh, took hold of the, the, the servant who owed him a little bit of money and said, pay what you owe. And, and his fellow servant fell down and begged him and said, please have patience. But the servant who was forgiven of much would not forgive the servant who owed little. I'd like to bring our minds, uh, bring this point to our minds, bring our, our attention to the following. Verse 32, then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant. Now, this is speaking of the servant who was forgiven a lot. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. No, you were truly sorry. You didn't want to be a, a debtor to sin anymore. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, <clears throat> just as I had compassion on you? Jesus Christ, God the Father in Christ, has forgiven us uh, if we've repented of our sins. Uh, of, of tremendous debts. Shame on us if we won't forgive others. But notice that the master was then angry and the master, verse 34, delivered him to the torturers, the jailers, until he should pay all that was due him. Verse 35, So my heavenly Father also will do to you, to each of you, uh, from his heart, if you do not forgive your brother his trespasses. Uh, brethren, we must forgive. It is for God to exact vengeance, not for us. Shame on us if we don't <clears throat> uh, forgive others. So, <clears throat> point number three. It is for God to exact vengeance and not for us. It is for us, us to be uh, very compassionate, very um, forgiving, willing to forgive. I'd like to turn to Ezekiel chapter 16. And this is an Old Testament prophecy that I love, and um, I'll have to move very quickly through it. Uh, sometimes if I go through Ezekiel 16, uh, I'll look at my watch, and I'll have spent 30 minutes going through it. Uh, and I, won't, I don't have time, and I won't do that. Um, <clears throat> but Ezekiel 16, in my mind, it's just so beautiful, and it gives us insight into God's, into God's mind and how God is willing to forgive, wants to forgive, uh, his people. So again, we're talking about point number three still, <clears throat> that it's up to God to exact vengeance, not vengeance, not for us. Ezekiel 16. We're going to begin in verse 9. Uh, verse 6, 7, 8 talks about uh, Israel being portrayed as a baby that was born uh, and, um, you know, was struggling and, you know, um, so then, uh, then God comes through and has compassion on that, on that baby. Ezekiel 16, verse 9, I washed you in water, I thoroughly washed off your blood, I anointed you with oil. So, so here we have uh, the church, the church in the wilderness, us, ancient Israel. This is God's attitude towards his bride. And his bride, he, he sees his bride uh, to, to be as, a, uh, as, a, as just a, a newborn baby and struggling, and uh, that, that baby would die. But God comes by and has compassion, washes the baby, anoints the baby with oil, clothes uh, her in, in cloth, and verse 10 gives her sandals of, of badger skin and <clears throat> fine linen and silk, adorned her with ornaments, and verse 11 uh, puts jewelry on, on her <clears throat> as she grows up into a young, young woman, uh, bracelets on her wrists and chain on her neck and uh, a jewel in her nose and earrings in her ears and a beautiful crown on her head. Verse 13, so she's adorned with all this uh, beautiful apparel uh, by her, 
her, um, her, the, the bridegroom uh, by, by God who wants to, to marry her, make a covenant with her. Verse 13, she's adorned. She's beautiful. And verse 14, so what, what happens? Then her, her fame goes out among the nations and because of her, her beauty, uh, for it was perfect through, through God's splendor, uh, which God bestowed upon her. Now, <clears throat> this, is sort of, this is sort of like us. Uh, at one point, we were in the world. If we grew up in the church, we were still uh, not um, we, under that new covenant uh, through baptism with God until we, we were baptized, until we did repent and were baptized. So all of us at one point were, were not um, baptized at some point in our past into that covenant with God. And yet God had mercy on us. And, <clears throat> and, but here we have ancient Israel. And hopefully this is not how we behave but notice verse 15. Um, she plays the harlot. She trusts in her own beauty and plays the harlot um, because of her fame and, and uh, pours out her harlotry on, on everybody who goes by. And I won't read it all, but uh, verse 22, she commits abominations and acts of harlotry. And verse 26, you know, just, she's just playing harlotry with the Egyptians and the Assyrians and going after false gods, not being faithful, not being loyal. Um, verse 30, how degenerate is your heart? Now, verse 31, 32, she erects pagan shrines. You know, she, she was this infant, this baby that God had mercy on, that God cleaned up, that God um, um, made a covenant, wanted to make a covenant with. And she goes out and she, she uh, you know, he makes that covenant with her and then she plays the, the harlot. Um, and then God talks about her being punished. But notice... Notice at the end of this prophecy, verse 60. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days uh, of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. <clears throat> God's desire is to forgive and to establish his covenant with us. Uh, that's his desire for Israel, for the church in the wilderness, for the modern uh, church, for all of us. Uh, not to punish us, not to exact, exact retribution on us, not to hurt us, but to correct us when needed, to forgive us when we repent, and to give us forgiveness and grace, and to marry us. That's God's desire. You know, sometimes, let's turn to Psalm 37. Sometimes, as humans, we're so short-sighted, and somebody offends us, and we just cannot... Uh, get, get over it and we fret about it and we, we, we stew over it and we want to exact, uh, you know, revenge. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, that, that's how human nature is. And we need to overcome that. And, and notice in Psalm 37, verse 1, we are told, <clears throat> do not fret because of evildoers. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of workers of iniquity. Now, we don't need to be envious of those who are evil, of those who uh, are trying to harm us or harm our family or harm the church. We don't need to fret. Uh, we have a great God, the God that created the heavens and the entire universe, the, the planet that we live on, uh, the, the, the fish in the sea, uh, God who is God. Uh, we do not need to fret. <clears throat> Instead, Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Do good. It's for God to correct and punish, not for us. Point number four, 
It is a blessing to be forgiving. Now, notice I said forgiving. Yes, it's a blessing to be forgiven. We have a a song, a hymn that we sing uh, that talks about blessed are those who are forgiven. It is a blessing to be forgiven, but it's a blessing to be forgiving. We're back in Psalms. Let's turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. It's a blessing to be forgiven, but it's also a blessing to be forgiving. And we're going to see that here now in just a moment. When we do not forgive others, we, we torment our own minds. But when we forgive others, when we, when we are merciful toward others, we do good for our own soul. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 11. Uh, God's word states this, and even uh, science states the, states the same thing. Proverbs 11, verse 17. Blessed, I'm sorry, Proverbs 11, verse 17. The merciful man does good for his own soul. When we're merciful, we do good for our own soul. Proverbs 11, verse 17. But he who is cruel, he who wants to be irreconcilable, he who wants to exact a vengeance himself, troubles his own flesh. You know, God's word is true. Uh, I don't need modern science or uh, you know, medicine to back God's word. But it's interesting that modern science and medicine does back God's word. You can go to the Mayo Clinic website and search uh, uh, for, you know, benefits of of forgiving, forgiveness. And the Mayo Clinic, as well as uh, Johns Hopkins website, Uh, you can go to Johns Hopkins as well. And those websites will will present papers by, you know, by doctors. and, And those papers will list the benefits of when we forgive others. And those benefits include things like lower blood pressure, improved heart health, um, easier, uh, better sleep, better sleep, stronger immune system, less risk of depression, less risk of depression. There are many physical benefits and mental benefits to, to us when we uh, practice forgiveness. When we do forgive, we, we, we're obeying God. We're also, uh, frankly, benefiting ourselves personally. But it takes humility to forgive. So we're still talking about the, the, the blessing of, uh, to be forgiving toward others. And it takes humility to be able to forgive others. Let's turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 57. It takes <clears throat> humility. We need to fear God. Uh, more than we uh, have pride in our in ourselves, we need to fear God, want to obey Him. Uh, we need to understand that you know we have sinned as well, and and we need to understand that more than we uh, lift ourselves up and say, well, we're so good, we're so uh, you know vain um, that that we can't forgive someone. No, that that's the wrong mentality entirely. Uh, to to be able to be forgiving requires humility. Uh, Isaiah fifty seven. Verse 15, For thus says the High and Lofty One, who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy, 
Uh, I dwell in the high and holy place, God says. But notice, with him, so God dwells in the high and holy place, but he'll dwell with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God dwells with him who or her who is contrite and he will revive us when we are contrite. If we are humble, if we're contrite, then God will strengthen us. If we're humble and we're contrite, then it's easy for us to forgive others. If we understand that when someone sins against us, they're really sinning against God. And if we pray for them, and if we love them, and if we want to practice forgiveness uh, toward them, uh, like God desires to practice forgiveness toward those who are repentant, then it will be easier for us to forgive. Psalm 51, David's psalm, let's notice in verse 4. I I said just a second ago that when we sin or when someone sins against us, we're really sinning against God. Why is that? Well, the answer is very simple. It's because God is the lawgiver. God is perfect. God's the lawgiver. And so, uh, Psalm 51, verse 4, Against you, you only have I sinned. You know, David committed that horrible sin. He, he, he committed adultery. He, he murdered Uriah. Uh, you know, there was all kinds of other things involved there too. Lying and obviously coveting and all, all kinds of sin. He broke all kinds of God's commandments. But he understood <clears throat> that even though he committed terrible sins against uh, others, that his, his ultimate sin was against God because God is the law giver. God is the law giver. And we need to remember, brethren, like it says in 1 John 3.15, we don't have to murder to be guilty of murder. Uh, Whoever hates his brother, whoever uh, wants to be irreconcilable, whoever's not willing to forgive, uh, God says in 1 John 3.15 that they are uh, behaving as a murderer. Even to tell a little fib against someone, especially if it's to harm but any type of lie. We have to remember that Satan is the father of lies, as it says in John 8, 44. He's the father of lies. Even if we fall short in a little way after <clears throat> baptism and conversion, we still, even if we fall short in that little way, we're guilty of breaking uh, God, God's laws in, in all ways, as Scripture says. So let's remember that we're not that great None of us are that great. We don't um, you know, have the monopoly on righteousness. Only Jesus Christ was, was perfect every day of his life. So we, I need forgiveness. You need forgiveness. Uh, we need to remember that we are <clears throat> guilty of sin and that, sin, uh, uh, that, that to sin uh, brings the death penalty. And so we, um, we've earned the death penalty. So let's remember how much we've sinned against God and against others and then be willing to forgive others and have a spirit of humility. Point number five. Be careful when we sit in the judgment seat. The title of the sermon today is Sitting in the Judgment Seat. Sitting in the Judgment Seat. And from time to time we do sit in the judgment seat. Now God called us. God opened our minds to the truth. God has forgiven us our sins if we've truly repented of them. He gave us homes to live in, jobs, family. 
He gave us His truth. He gave us the chance, the potential to become firstborn uh, sons of God in His family forever. He gave us all of those things. But He requires us to be merciful, as it said in Isaiah, to be forgiving, as we've discussed in this sermon. It's not always easy to be forgiving. Not all wrongs are easy to forgive. But who are we to say that we can forgive one wrong, one offense, and not another? Who are we to say that we can forgive one person and not another? Now be very, very careful when we find ourselves sitting in the judgment seat. Matthew chapter 27, because sometimes we will sit in the judgment seat. And that's not necessarily a wrong thing. Sometimes we do sit in the judgment seat. Matthew 27, verse 19. Here we have a, <coughs> a um, uh, very um, you know, sad account, I guess. It's, a, you know, it's the account of Jesus Christ <coughs> being before Pilate and uh, being mocked by the soldiers and going up to his crucifixion. We know also, in a way, it's, 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 uh, it's an encouraging account because our Savior, our our King, He died willingly for our sins so that our sins can be washed clean. Matthew 27, verse 19. But here we have Pilate <coughs> sitting in the judgment seat. Um, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife said to him, sent, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man, speaking of Jesus. For I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas instead and destroy Christ. So Pilate sat in the judgment seat. And although he washed his hands, as we know, uh, he made the wrong judgment, didn't he? He made the wrong judgment. Sometimes we sit in the judgment seat. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, Verse 1, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Uh, If we have a problem with somebody, a brother, a a sister in the faith, uh, we should not go to the the, the carnal, the outside world. Verse 2, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, Are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? You know, sometimes we do sit in the judgment seat. Uh, Scripture is clear that we are to judge matters, especially matters within the church. But to judge is not to condemn. To judge is not to say, I'm going to be irreconcilable and not be willing to forgive. Pilate sat in the judgment seat and he judged wrong. And he sentenced the creator of the universe to be crucified. Uh, Be very careful when we judge. Be careful when we judge. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because sometimes we do find that we uh, are in a position where we have to judge. But we need to make our our goal uh, to please God, not to be vindictive and try to tear others down, but instead to please God, to live uh, righteously, to live in a way where we're humble and forgiving, and make that our goal. 
not to be tearing others down, not to uh, try to always be uh, <clears throat> judging others. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You see, Christ is going to sit in the judgment seat and he will judge us. Notice that each one may receive the things done <clears throat> in the body, done during this life, uh, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Are you and I Jesus Christ? No, no. You know, John 5.22 tells us that the Father judges no one, but he has committed all judgment to Christ. Vengeance is God's. Retribution is God's. To condemn is God's. It's the Son's. Remember Ezekiel 16, where God, Christ, he saw his, his bride, he saw his bride wallowing in filth, he saw his bride go out after he had cleaned her up and go out and commit harlotry and abominations. But his desire was and is to forgive and to reconcile and to build relationships, to love, to have mercy, to be merciful, to remember their lawless deeds and their sins no more, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10. That should be our motivation. <clears throat> so, we have a conclusion I'd like to give, but to recap the five points. First, we, review, we reviewed briefly what sin is and the, the importance of, uh, of repentance. Uh, we discussed what is godly forgiveness. It is to remove somebody's transgression, somebody's sin, as far away as the east is from the west, to blot it out, to remember it no more. That was point one. Point two, we reviewed that to be a forgiver means to not be an accuser that Satan is the accuser and that we are really to be careful not to fellowship, brethren, with people who, who tear down, gossip, accuse, attack, who bring a different doctrine uh, than what the church teaches. We then uh, discuss point number three. It's for God to take vengeance, to correct. And of course, we did talk about the fact that, yes, we are to correct people, try to correct people when they're going you know, outside or away from God's law, but it's for God to punish. <clears throat> it's for God to condemn. Uh, point four, we talked about the blessing of being forgiving, uh, how Proverbs and Psalms and Isaiah talks about various uh, benefits. Um, if we're forgiving, how even modern science knows that if we're forgiving, that it helps our blood pressure, it helps reduce chances of, of uh, all kinds of disease, of cancer, of uh, uh, depression. And point five, we talked about being careful when we sit in the judgment seat because sometimes we do sit in the judgment seat. Not all wrongs are easy to forgive, brethren. But we must learn to practice godly forgiveness and to remember that just as Jesus Christ uh, gave in the parable, the master, he's going to come back and settle the accounts. We don't have to settle those accounts. He will. He will. If someone hurts us, if we're having a hard time uh, reconciling, remember Matthew 18, practice Matthew 18, go to that person in humility, knowing that we are also sinners, we also fall short. Go, with, go to that person wanting to reconcile. Go to that person uh, hoping that we have the, the spirit and the, the heart 
uh, of God in us that wants to forgive. Yes, as a church, we are to judge between right and wrong. 1 Corinthians and elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 6 and, and other scriptures make that clear. But let's remember that God wants us to be forgiving. Dr. Meredith wrote in a Living Church News personal a few years ago. He wrote the following. How many of us get down on our knees regularly and pray to God, Father, forgive me the sinner. Please apply the shed blood of your son to me. Through your spirit, please help me really overcome my own uh, selfishness, vanity, lust, greed. Help me overcome my hurt feelings and my attitudes of resentment against my brethren. Please clean me up, scrub me out. Help me to reflect Jesus Christ far more in everything I think, say, and do. That's from an article from Dr. Meredith in the Living Church News uh, titled, Do You Thank God for Christ's Sacrifice? Brethren, that's the attitude of a true Christian. Of a true Christian. Remember back in Hosea chapter 6. I won't turn there, but in Hosea chapter 6, God said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Brethren, the knowledge of God does not just mean how much trivia we know. The knowledge of God does not mean how much we understand prophecy. The knowledge of God does not just mean you know, how, how well we know the chronology of the kings. Those are all wonderful. The chronologies of the kings and, and how many years Israel wandered in the wilderness and who the minor prophets were and, 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 and pr prophetic details. Fantastic. Wonderful. But a knowledge of God, a knowledge of God within this context, within the Hosea 6-6 context, that knowledge, that knowledge of God is about God's compassion, God's desire to reconcile, God's desire to forgive, the fact that God wants us to be His bride for eternity, the fact that God has forgiven us of our past sins, that we've repented of, wants to forgive us if we do sin and we truly repent. And we should reflect that in our hearts. How petty, how small, how trivial of us, how human, how carnal, how evil, how satanic of us if we don't want to forgive others, if we don't want to be reconcilable to others. You know, let's turn. I have two scriptures before we close. Let's turn to Second uh, Timothy. I referenced it earlier, but let's turn here. Because at the, because at the end of the age, there's something interesting <clears throat> that's going to happen. And it's, a, it's, a, it's something to be uh, careful about. 2 Timothy 3.3 3, Because it is an attitude that will pervade and permeate the earth and will afflict those even that are God's saints if we're not careful. 2 Timothy 3 uh, verse 1 talks about in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money and boasters and proud and blasphemers. And you know we say to ourselves well this is not us. Uh, we're not, you know, these horrible things. But in verse 3, it says unloving and unforgiving. That word unforgiving is irreconcilable. 
that in the last days, people will they'll want to be irreconcilable. They'll want to exact vengeance themselves, not trusting in God or as he's portrayed, uh, Christ is portrayed, the, the, the master who's returning from his kingdom or to his kingdom. Uh, let's not be irreconcilable. Let's understand that it is a blessing to forgive, just like it is a blessing to be forgiven. And when we find ourselves occasionally sitting in the judgment seat, let's be very, very careful. God has been merciful to us. Let's be merciful to others. In conclusion, Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians. God has been merciful to us. Let us be merciful to others. Let us, as the living church of God, practice forgiveness to others within our fellowship, our families, and in the greater church of God. We live in the Laodicean era where it is a shame, it is a, a shame and a, a, a travesty that there are God's saints that are scattered around and the reasons that they're scattered around is often just that they were offended about something. It's not doctrine. It's not that you know there, there's, there's some heresy. Um, it's not that they don't see where the work is being done. It's that they got their feelings hurt. And, and I need to be careful about that. You need to be careful about that. It's easy to get our feelings hurt. As Second Timothy said, at the end of the age, that will be a, a, a spirit that will pervade and permeate uh, the earth and will afflict the church. People getting their feelings hurt. And that's one of the reasons we have all these different splinter groups today. And God is not pleased at all with the fact that so many of his people are not willing to be reconciled to each other and get together and love one another and do the work and put their shoulder to the plow and be Philadelphian and practice brotherly love and do the work of God. He's not pleased with the status of so many of of us, of his saints, who are not behaving in a way that is humble, forgiving, kind. Now, don't go into the other ditch. Don't go into the other ditch and say, Mr. Saselka, that's, that's something I need to work on. I need to, I need to be forgiving. So I'm going to compromise and, and I'm going to uh, you know, get involved in heresy and false doctrine and I'm not going to you know, be involved in the work because, because we just have to compromise. That's not what God wants either. God wants a passionate bride that is zealous to do the work but also that loves him and, and loves the fellow saints. There's no room in God's family for enmity, for bitterness, to be irreconcilable, to have hurt feelings toward one another. And God is not pleased with that. So, let us conclude remembering that God has been merciful with us and we need to be merciful with others. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, we read, Therefore, we make it our aim, our goal, 
whether present or absent. I know I read this earlier, but I want to conclude with this very powerful admonition. We make it our goal to be well-pleasing to him, to walk in a way that honors and respects God. That's, that's forgiving of others. That's zealous for God's law, zealous for the truth. That's humble. Verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one, myself included, you, me, all of us, we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body, done during this life, according to what we have done, whether good or bad. So, brethren, let us strive to be forgiving. Let us be careful when we sit in the judgment seat. And let us strive to walk in a way that pleases God so that when we sit before the judgment seat of Christ, not only will He be pleased with us, but also though, so that we can look around and we can see all those others of our friends and our family, fellow saints, that we have maybe helped in a little way to be there as well because we've been kind, we've been forgiving, we've been merciful, we've been compassionate, we've been long-suffering. When God judges us, He's going to judge us on those matters as well. So whether present or absent, let us walk according to God's law, but also according to God's mind, so that when we sit or stand before the judgment seat of Christ, He will be well pleased with us as well.